Wow. Well, I'm experiencing a little bit of a cold this morning. And uh, colds and speeches don't go well together, as we discovered this week from our uh, illustrious Prime Minister, who was struggling a little bit. Um, So I've got a cough suite ready, and I've got my tissues ready, so we should be fine. Um, We're ready to go. Lord, I thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that as we come to to look at your word together, Lord, this isn't just a book, but we want to hear from you. God, we pray by your Holy Spirit you'd communicate to your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's great to be here. I was away last week um, helping a friend who's on a sabbatical from his church. He and his wife were away, and so he'd arranged for a few people to go and speak, so I was there. It's great to be back home again this week, and uh, wonderful to be here. Um, In our life group this last week, we were looking at the theme of trusting God, and During our conversation, one of the thoughts came up about the news that we watch, and we just reflected really briefly that a lot of the news we watch and hear is is quite miserable, isn't it? Have you you noticed that? Apart from that little segment at the end, if you're watching the TV news, if you still do that these days, that's one thing I miss about getting news on the internet when you're just flicking through stories. You don't get that little bit at the end where they, they say, and finally, and you go, ah. We've had all the death, destruction, woe, pestilence, and all the rest of it, and then you get to the and finally story. And I I used to like the and finally story. I don't tend to watch the news in that kind of linear fashion anymore, so I'm missing out on that. But and finally, that bit of good news at the end. Uh, What's the best news you've received in a while? Uh, Maybe a job offer, maybe uh, someone wrote to you through the post, you know, wrote to you, got a letter through the post, and you thought, wow, a letter. I've not had one of those for years. Maybe you had a nice email or a text or somebody encouraging you and you, you just thought, there's something good news coming. Maybe you went to see a doctor and you got some good news. Maybe you had a bank statement and it, it was black, not red, and you had some good news. What's the last bit of good news you had? Well, I just love hearing salvation stories. I love hearing stories of people whose lives are, have been changed and are being changed by God. And today we're looking at a new theme for this month, which is why the gospel is still good news. Why it's good news, uh, the story of the gospel. And and the word gospel, just to to clarify, is up on the left. It it means good news and it's it's also the message of Jesus, but it it just means good news. So good news and gospel are the same thing. That's what we're talking about today. And, and, And we read in the gospels that we talk about four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That, that tell the story of the good news of Jesus as Jesus going around proclaiming the good news. And this is what it says. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Jesus went with a good message that was good news. And he went to say the kingdom of God is here or at hand. It's available to you today and he demonstrated that not just through his words and through the the conviction with which he spoke on the authority but with the power of healing people he healed the sick he raised the dead he cast out demons he set people free and so we get this combination of word and deed which matches together marries together and we see Jesus setting people free I don't want to focus on this passage I want to focus on one passage from 1 Corinthians. And if you've got a Bible, you might like to turn to it. it. All the words I think are going to be up on the screen, but it's 1 Corinthians 15. And this is Paul 
writing to the church in Corinth. Paul's one of the early Christian teachers, leaders, apostles. He's going around planting churches. And this is his letter to a church that's in trouble. The church in Corinth is in a bit of a mess. And uh, things are upside down. People are behaving in ways they shouldn't be. They're excited about some stuff and then they're messing up in other areas. And so Paul's writing in uh, to correct some things that are going on. And he writes this in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. He goes on to say, then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. I want to look at some principles from this passage and see why the gospel is still good news for us today, living in 2017, and it will continue to be good news in the years that come. And this is why. It's good news because God comes near. Paul speaks about a a gospel that's simple and it's all about Jesus. And it's this simple thought that God comes near. He he gives four principles we're going to see about the gospel. And the first one's this, that Christ died. Christ. This is a word with some incredible resonance in the New Testament. Today it's a swear word that people say, you know, stub your toe and you use the name Christ. Uh, And people forget that it's a name that carries meaning. And for Paul writing this, it's, it's not just a swear word. It's not even a religious word. But this, this word conveys so much truth. Christ was the one that was promised. God made man. God the Messiah. The one who was coming. The promised one to set people free. So when Paul writes, Christ died. It, it, it's kind of so quick. Well, he's, probably even, he's probably even just speaking it, pacing up and down. He's got a scribe writing it down. And you can... You can imagine he says the word really quickly, but Paul's choosing that word because it's got such power. Because when we say Christ, we're talking about God who became near to us. God's representative, the promised one, the deliverer. The gospel is good news because Jesus is the Christ, the one who comes near. And that means that the waiting's over. The waiting's done. It's finished. It's over. It changes how we live. We don't live with just a little bit of hope that maybe one day, maybe possibly one day, God might turn up somewhere. God's already come. He's already here. He's arrived. Our lives are based on the security of what God has done. It means that also that God understands. We've been singing songs today about going through difficult times. And you know in a difficult time, sometimes you think, oh, I wonder if God gets it. I wonder if God really knows what I'm going through. I wonder if, and and sometimes people say things that are quite challenging to us as Christians. People can say, well, if your God, if only he knew. And we treat God as if he's remote and distant and somehow up a mountain somewhere or further away. And our lives are lived down here. And God, 
oh, I can't see you anymore. I don't know if you're there. If I, can you even see what I'm going through? And the gospel story tells us that not only does God know, but he understands because he's done it. He's been there. He's put sandals on. I was going to say he walks in our shoes, but probably not. He's put sandals on and he's walked around and, and he's walked a human life. He's lived with human pain and suffering. He's wept human tears. He knows what you're going through. What I'm going through. If you're suffering grief, you're suffering confusion or loss, you're suffering and you're in that place of wondering, God, where are you? Do you even get it? The answer is yes. Yes, 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 I understand. Yes, I, I know because I've been there. And God enters in to our world. And it means that God loves us. It means that God loves us. The gospel is good news because Christ came. Because Jesus came near. He loves us. Continuous, demonstrated, eternal, sacrificial, self-giving love. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Motivated by love, God gave. There's a story uh, read in this book about Charles Wesley. We often hear of John Wesley, the guy who started the Methodist movement, riding around on horseback, preaching outside of churches because they wouldn't let him in. And thousands of people becoming Christians. And he established this whole movement of people uh, some of you may know of Charles, the hymn writer, his brother. And uh, kind of a dynamic duo, these two. Batman and Robin, if you like. Um, but they were st- kind of starting this... That was probably unhelpful, but there we go. Right, starting this movement of people who were becoming Christians and being put into small groups and being discipled and learning what it was to be a Christian. Well, I've got a story about Charles Wesley. and Because uh, Charles was a Christian who also went around preaching. And it says this, Charles Wesley was a regular prison visitor at Newgate Jail in London. He recorded in his journal that while visiting a prisoner who was sick with fever and condemned to be hanged, he had explained to him the good news of the cross. I told him of one who came from heaven to save lost sinners and him in particular. I described the sufferings of the Son of God his sufferings, agony, and death. He listened with all the signs of eager astonishment. The tears trickled down his cheeks while he cried. What? Was it for me? Did God suffer all this for so poor a creature as me? On the morning of the hanging, Charles went to meet the death cart as it drove towards the gallows. There was a large crowd there. And they were taunting the prisoners. When the prisoner saw Charles, the guest preacher noticed that he smiled with the most composed, delightful countenance I ever saw. Charles mounted the death cart and he and all the prisoners sang together, Behold the Savior of mankind, nailed the shameful tree. How vast the love that him inclined to bleed and die for thee. It is done. The precious ransoms paid. Receive my soul, he cries. See where he bows his sacred head. He bows his head and dies. A guilty, weak, and helpless worm. Into thy hands I fall. Be thou my life, my righteousness, my Jesus, and my all. When the cart drew off, wrote Charles, not one struggled for life. We left them going 
to meet their Lord. Isn't that amazing? What a powerful story of people condemned to die, yet discovering at that moment that Christ came. That they weren't left out, but that one came for them. Uh, the story goes on, and, uh, and, and Paul says that Christ died for our sin, and the gospel's good news because sin is dealt with. Sin's dealt with. The sin of those guys condemned to die, and our sin too. I think if we were to do a poll and ask people, what's the biggest problem in the world today? What is it? People might perhaps rightly think about the environment and the damage that's been done that will potentially wreak havoc in generations to come, and people are concerned about that. People might think of the president of the U.S. and the premier of North Korea and their saber-rattling that's going on. They might say, well, there's some problems there politically. People might look at the economy or housing and say, well, there's some issues in our society. They might look at crime or disease or suffering or war. But you know, I don't think the biggest problem's out there. I think the biggest problem's in here. And it's in here in every single person. And it's the tendency towards sin. It's the tendency to say to God, up yours, I'm doing it my way. I'm going my way. To stick two fingers up at God and to live our own life our way and do what we want. And I think that's the repeated problem of society today. And it's the biggest problem we face. Paul writes, this same guy writes earlier on in the book of Corinthians. And I haven't got this verse for you, but it's 1, Corin uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 1.23. And Paul writes this, that the, the cross, what he's talking about now, he says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. It was a stumbling block to the Jewish people because they couldn't believe that the Messiah could die. It was foolishness to the Greeks, the Gentiles, because they couldn't believe that God could come in the flesh. So they're kind of both stuck, really, on this whole thought. and Because uh, the flesh was bad to the Greeks and to the Jews, the Messiah, the promised one, couldn't die. And, and so to preach that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, come in the flesh and that he dies is a stumbling block and foolishness to the Jews and the Greeks that Paul's preaching to. I don't think that's the biggest problem today. I don't think it's the biggest scandal. I think the scandal is to stand up and say, Jesus died for our sin. Because people look in their own hearts and they go, sin? Me? No, not me. You must be thinking of somebody else. Surely this applies to somebody else, somebody really bad. Somebody who, yeah, religious people, maybe Jesus died for their sin, and that's not the case because this passage tells us that Jesus died for our sin, for everybody. The gospel is good news because it's an antidote to sin and specifically an antidote to pride. The oldest sin of all is pride. Rebellion against God, telling God that we know better, that actually I'm, I don't want to be a created being, I want to be like the creator. It's the oldest sin of all, to pretend that we're God, to live as if we're God, to live as if we're masters of our own destiny, that we decide that we're in charge, that I can do whatever I like, and God should just jolly well get on with it and like it too. And I've lived my life like that. And you live your lives like that at times as well. We live our lives like that because we all sin. And that's what sin is. It's saying regardless of what God thinks, in this moment I'm choosing 
this course of action because I'd rather do this than live as if God is my creator. And it's the oldest sin in the book. And the gospel is an antidote to pride because it's an invitation to say, I have sinned. It's an invitation to be honest and to look inside ourselves and perhaps for some for the very first time to say, I've sinned, I've chosen to go my own way. And for all of us uh, regularly to do this, to say, I look inside my own life and my own actions and actually some of them are me living as if I'm the creator, not as if you are. And it's an antidote to pride. Uh, This verse, this little half a verse that Jesus died for our sin, that Christ died for our sin, shows us that Christ died for everybody's sin, that everyone's sin is dealt with. If I was, and this is another conceptual struggle for us, okay? So if I was to ask, what, what age do people become responsible for their sins? You might say, well, maybe 18. Maybe at 18, people know what they're doing and they, they're choosing to go their own way and God would hold them responsible for that. Or maybe you might think, well, maybe that's a bit old. Maybe 13, 12. Isn't there something about in the Jewish culture about a bar mitzvah? Maybe it's that sort of age and maybe then-ish, that's a good time. So do you mean an 11-year-old doesn't know what they're doing when they're choosing to do wrong? Now, now this I find really hard, but if you hold a baby, a young child, under, even under one, there are times when that beautiful, seemingly innocent little child, knowing what you want, chooses to go its own way. They know they shouldn't act in a certain way and still, I know this because we've all done it. All of us were one once. We've done this. And the shocking truth that seems so counterintuitive, that seems wrong and even sacrilegious to say it, and and I'll tell you why it seems sacrilegious, the, the, the honest truth is that all of us, the whole of humanity is tainted by sin that we're born into it, that there's no escape from it by ourselves. And it seems sacrilegious because we've, we've pulled God down and we've elevated humanity up. And we, we, th- th- there's a cult of humanity where we worship ourselves and to say that we could possibly be sinful even from a tiny age, even from birth, seems sacrilegious. It seems terrible to say that. How could you say that there's something so perfect could be tainted? But only God is perfect. We're not and actually, the, the truth is that every human heart is, is directed towards sin. And we choose it again and again and again. But this passage tells us that there's a way out. That Jesus died for our sin. That even that pride that affects us from a young age, Jesus deals with. Now, I need to move on quickly, but I want to just give you an illustration that I think is helpful. I enjoy going to the beach I had a, a series of meetings this week, and this is going to sound glamorous, but it wasn't at all. Um, but I, was, I had to go down to Dorset for a few days, and we were staying in a YMCA property near Sandbanks, Millionaire's Row. Fabulous down there. Saw Harry Redknapp's old house and you know, all these kind of places that you kind of can see. People who spent a lot of money on their homes. And we were kind of 300 meters from a beach. I made it once for 15 minutes in two and a half days of meetings. That's how long, it, that's kind of the rest of the time we're meetings. But I got down to this beach and I walked along the, the sand and I looked at the sea and it just gave me those moments. I love going to the beach. I love skimming stones. Anybody else like skimming stones? 
Yeah, a few of you. Okay. I love going to the beach and just seeing. Now, I used to be pretty good. My, my, my throwing action's gone a bit funny recently. I've not been very good at skimming. You pick one up and you go, one. Okay, try again. Maybe two on a good day, you know? But that, that moment where you just skim and it's bounce, 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 bounce. Brilliant. Now, if you love skimming stones, how many have ever noticed a change in the beach as a result of your skimming? Anybody? Now, if you get a Hastings and you skim a stone, there'll still be stones on the beach. And I reckon we could go and skim all day and there'd still be stones on the beach. You could throw it until your arm aches and you try the other arm and there'd still be a stony beach. Jesus, if you imagine your sin is like a stone that you're casting into the sea. You could try all day and try and knock one off and another one. Forgive me for my sin. Oh, there's that one as well. Jesus paid for every single one. It's as if the beach of stones disappears and they've gone and they're replaced with sand. It's as if the whole thing's gone. The sea comes in and covers them and does what you can't. By chucking them into sea, you're still going to be a beach of stones, but somehow that sea rolls in at high tide and they're all gone. And unlike the stones on the beach, they're not there when the tide goes out because Jesus deals with our sin. He covers it. When, when you've repented of your sin, you've come to Jesus and you've said, would you forgive me? It's dealt with. It's gone. Uh, and, and times later when you're reminded of things that you've already repented of, it's already dealt with. You don't have to pray harder. We don't have to fast and claim things and perform spiritual stuff. It's actually paid for by Jesus. He died for our sin. It's good news because we don't have to fear death. Paul writes, Christ died for our sin. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Our separation from God is over. The separation when Jesus was on the cross and cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When, when he took our place, when he took our separation, when he was put in the tomb and buried. And it seemed like the whole world went quiet. It seemed as though death had won. But actually it hadn't. And Jesus would rise from the dead. We, we see that in this story, this simple preaching of the gospel, that Christ came, that Christ died for our sin, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. We see that separation from God is over. We see that burial is only temporary. We see that because he rose, we can too. Death can be many things to us. It's often spoken of as being tragic. It can be heartbreaking. We mourn and we grieve and we suffer loss, but we need no longer fear death. We no longer need to grieve like the rest of people who have no hope because there is hope in Christ. And even though we die, we shall live. That's good news. It's good news that when the rest of the world, the worst thing that can happen is that somebody dies. For us, it need not be a thing that causes fear. The gospel is good news because his story becomes my story. Paul goes on, he writes that Jesus appeared, having risen, he appeared to Cephas or Peter, 
and then to the 12, and then he carries on, then to 500 others. Jesus, in appearing, is making the, the, the gospel story, the good news, relevant and personal again. He's appearing to Peter. He's appearing to the other disciples. He's appearing to 500. Jesus makes himself known to me and to you. He doesn't hold back. Those resurrection appearances that Jesus makes, don't, don't just verify that he rose from the dead. We ha- can have complete, I might speak about this a little bit next week as part of my message then. We can have complete confidence that Jesus rose from the dead. But he's not just verifying that he's alive to the disciples. He's, he's entering again to their world. He's coming again. He's showing himself to his disciples and saying, I'm here. I'm risen. I'm risen from the dead. I'm alive. And Jesus makes himself known to those disciples and he makes himself known to me today. Do you know, I thought I was looking for God. When I tell my story of how I became a Christian, I feature quite a lot in it. And when I listen to other people's stories of how they came to Christ, they feature quite a lot in it. But the truth is this, that actually God features quite a lot more than we do in it. Because we're telling it from our perspective. Giles and I and others have had the privilege of sitting in our Getting Connected uh, course. We do two sessions called Getting Connected, and we introduce people to the church, and we always take time to share our own personal stories of how we came to Christ. And, and I could probably tell Giles' story for him, and he could probably tell mine for me, uh, and others who've led the group. Rob's been there, and Judith's been there, and others too. We could tell each other's stories because we know them, but actually we tell it from our perspective. But there's another side, which is Jesus' perspective to the story. There's another side that actually God was working on our behalf, that he was drawing us, that he was calling us, that he was beckoning to us, that he was softening our heart, that he was showing us the truth, that he was calling us to come and that he'd already died to pay the price for us. The other side to our story, I don't think we'll get to see until we see Jesus face to face. And then we'll weep tears of joy as we recognize what God has been doing for us all along. As we take our half a story to him, which he already knows, and we discover his half, more than half the story, which is the rest of his works on our behalf. When you're at your lowest, you discover that God's been at work. When you're broken, you discover that God's been at work. When you're saying, God, where are you? You'll discover that God has been at work all the time, and you take your little bit, and you'll see, we'll all see the rest of the story, and I believe we'll fall to our knees and cry out to the King of Kings that there's no name that's higher because he's changing our lives. He's working our behalf constantly. This little passage, if you had your Bible open, you could see that Jesus appeared to Peter and then to the 12 and then to 500 others. He doesn't leave anybody out. He comes back to appear again to Thomas, one of his disciples who was missing at the time, and doesn't leave anybody out. He appears to us today too. Uh, Let me move on. The gospel is good news because it's simple. It's really simple. Some parts of the Bible are complicated. I'll be honest with you. Some have studied theology. You've studied the Bible. It's complicated. If you don't believe me and you think I'm just a bit of a duffer, well, that's fine. But even Peter, who's writing later on, says that it's complicated too. Peter in 2 Peter 3.16 says that Paul's writings, the stuff we're reading now, Paul says lots of powerful things that are great and some people twist but he says actually some of them are really complicated and difficult to understand and that's Peter one of the apostles writing that Paul's stuff's a bit complicated so if you're finding it complicated it's okay but the gospel is simple Paul says 
this when he's preaching this gospel. He says, this is the gospel. Christ died. He was buried. He was raised. He appeared. Christ died. He was buried. He was raised. He appeared. That's simple. Four things. You can remember those, couldn't you? I could remember those. Christ died. He was buried. He was raised. He appeared. That's the gospel message Paul's talking about. It's really, really simple. And no more work is required. Paul's writing to these guys because they've lost sight of the gospel. And we'll come on to that in just a moment. But there's a great tendency to make this really complicated. And you might be thitting, sitting there thinking, Stuart, I've, I kind of know this. But I want to just, I'm preaching this message because I think we complicate it. And we layer up stuff that we need to do on top. Why? Because there's lots more we can learn to live as we follow Christ. We can, we can discover lots of things and you can go on courses and read books and, and they're great. But this is the gospel that Christ died, was buried, rose again and, and appeared. That's the gospel Paul's preaching about and it's really, really simple. And I think there's two flavors that we kind of, if you're in an ice cream shop and you're offered one of two flavors, well, we, we, off, we pick one of these and we add them into the gospel. We, we, we kind of flavor the gospel with these two things. The first one is work. As if we're not satisfied that Jesus paid it all, I have to do, I've got to do something surely to earn this. So we work really, 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 really hard as if if we work harder, God will be pleased with us. And God might take our sin away if we work harder. Friends, that's bogus. It's absolutely bogus. You can't add anything to what Jesus has done for you. We, we want to work hard and give our lives in serving Christ. Yes, but not to earn his favor. He's already delighting in us. Because of what Jesus has done. Our sin is gone. The separation's healed. We're made one with him. The second temptation is to add super spirituality on top of what Christ has done. We've got to add all sorts of extra stuff on top and, and, and re, reword it and rephrase it and add all sorts of experiences on. And, and yes, there's lots more of walking with Jesus and lots more experiences we can have. But actually, the simplicity of the gospel is that Christ died, that he was buried, that he rose, that he appeared. That's what Paul says in this passage. Nothing else is needed. It's easy to understand. It's easy to communicate. You don't need to go to some guru to discover the meaning of life. You don't need to just go to discover what, what after 40 years of uh, working hard, what, what enlightenment means. Paul tells us that Christ died, was buried, rose again, and appeared. Let me move on. There's a warning. The reason Paul's writing this is that we can forget the gospel. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Corinth, the place Paul's writing to, is an exciting place to be. Some of us would have loved it. It was exciting. There were miracles. There were healings. There was people using spiritual gifts in the meetings and people speaking in tongues and 
and, and, and other languages that they're not learned, given to them by the Spirit. And, and some over there would speak a bit louder. And then there's someone over here would speak a bit louder. And they'd, they're just kind of this, this chaotic. And some people would have prophecies, words from God, and they'd all be going at the same time. And, uh, and it was just absolute chaos. So much so that when that came to communion, people were bringing their own food as they did to share a meal together. And some people were getting drunk. There was that much chaos going on. And some people would have enjoyed the kind of looking in and going, wow, if this is church, I want some of this. None of this sitting down business. That's just full-on carnage. Let's go for it. It's like a festival. Every week. And Paul's writing to, to this kind of chaotic place where it's all happening and saying, you've forgotten the gospel. I want to remind you of the gospel. And these Corinthians had teachers teaching them and there was all sorts going on, visions and dreams and, and there was a bit of this kind of spiritual party, super spiritual stuff, but they were full of sin. Full of sin because pride, the most original sin, the ancient of sins had entered into their hearts and they'd lost the gospel. They needed to remember that Jesus died for their sin. They need to remember that because it's life-giving. Do you know, the reason I'm sharing this message today is because I want us to have confidence in the message we share, but I also want it to have a relevance in our lives. I wish I could say to you that I came to Jesus when I was about 13 years old. He forgave me my sins. And since that day, I've never had to repent of anything because it was all covered. I wish I could because I don't want to. stood here right now. I don't want to sin. I don't want to put myself above God, but I know that in about an hour's time, maybe I will again. Because my tendency is to want to sin. And yours is too. There's part of us that, part of our tendency that says, oh, let's, let's go after this sin and dethrone God. And none of us actually want that. Sitting here in the cool light of day, and we're in church for goodness sake. None of us want to sin. But I know in another situation, in another context, in a little while, there'll be something that'll crop up. It may even be over coffee. Somebody might push in front of you in the queue and your wanting to sin now might be different then. Someone might say something and you might go home and say, oh, you never guess what they said. doesn't take long, does it? doesn't take long for a judgment to form in our minds about somebody else or for a word to come out of our heart or a, an attitude to sink into our hearts or our minds. It doesn't take long. And I tell you, you don't ever forget the gospel. If it works for you daily, then do it daily. If it's weekly, do it weekly, but regularly, regularly. My pattern has become over the years regularly to come before Jesus and to worship and to confess my sin and to repent and to turn back to him regularly. Don't wait. Don't leave it months. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a promise that we can come to Jesus and Maybe it's on your knees. You, you just say, Jesus, forgive me. Uh, and I name situations and I let the Holy Spirit take me, show me, like God show me specific instances that where I've left him out of my day and I've chosen to put myself first. Do it regularly. God doesn't condemn us. He welcomes us to come that we might be forgiven. Why? Because we shouldn't forget the gospel. It's still good news for us even after decades of following Jesus. 
Gospel's good news because you can stand on it. I might say more about that next week. Um, But Paul starts by saying, don't forget the gospel on which you've taken your stand. This gospel is reliable and trustworthy. Finally, the gospel's still good news because it's not meant for keeping for ourselves. It's a wonderful story in the Old Testament about a city that's been under siege. And there's some lepers outside. And they're outside because they're not allowed in the city because they've got leprosy. And God causes such a commotion to occur that the enemy who's been placed in the city under siege run off. They disappear. And the lepers go and investigate the enemy camp and they go and discover that the enemy's run away. That there's food available and the people in the city under siege have been starving to death. They've had no provision. Nothing. Uh, And they're, they're suffering. And the lepers who've lived a large part of their lives without being included, being excluded, come to the realization as they're sitting there about to enjoy a feast that there are other people who are in the city who are suffering. And even though the lepers have needed to be excluded and the people in the city have excluded them, they say, why should we keep this good news to ourselves? Let's go and tell. They go back into the city and the people come out and they have enough provision. Friends, this good news Christ died, that he was buried, that he rose, that he appeared. This good news is so good, we can't keep it to ourselves. Can we? He died for sin, mine, yours, and that of humanity. So let's remember the gospel. Let's recount it. Let's tell the story of Jesus finding us. Please stop pretending you haven't sinned. I'm saying this to myself as well. Let's just just stop the whole pretense. We have. We do. But let's not judge it. Let's not grade it. Let's not look at other people's sin and go, well, that's a really bad one. I'm glad I'm not like them. Let's come to Jesus today and receive his grace and extend his grace to others and be honest and then tell people the wonderful good news. Let's pray, shall we? Just as we're coming to pray, and before we do, I want to give an opportunity for you to respond. I want to give an opportunity for you to respond to this simple message that Jesus died for sin. He died to take away sin and deal with it. He he is dealing with mine. He paid the price. And he's continuing to make that outworked in my life day by day by day and I can be washed clean today and live in that fullness of freedom from sin because of what Christ has done I want to give one opportunity that's really clear if you haven't yet said to Jesus that you want to make use of his death for your sin if you want a brand new start for the first time and you want to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. And I'm going to ask you to make that decision now. To say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I want you to take away my sin. And I'd like to pray 
a simple prayer that you can follow along with. If that's you, and you've said, I want Jesus to deal with my sin, then we're going to pray. And you just pray this with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you take away sin and you can make me clean because of what Jesus did on the cross. Christ died for sin, including mine. I confess my sin. I need your forgiveness. I want a new start in life. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you give me life. And I receive that life today. I turn from my sin. I turn towards you. I want to be born again. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer, I'd love you to come and speak to me afterwards. Not just to encourage me that God's at work, but I'd love to pray with you and give you a particular resource that we use um, to just share with you. Father, I want to just pray for all of us as well. For all of us who are touched today by your Spirit's work in our meeting together, that where you've highlighted weakness or sin in us, Lord, I thank you that you are able to deal with that. You have paid the price. And I pray, Lord, that as we were singing earlier about coming on our knees before you and giving you everything, Lord, that that process today would be simply outworked. Not complicated, but simple. That you'd forgive us of sin. We thank you that you will. We thank you that you have. Lord, that we would be able to live in the gospel today. That if there's fear of death, that's come into anybody's life, they will be set free in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. If there's set patterns of sinful behavior that have been built up over years, Lord, that they would be broken in Jesus' name. And we pray, Lord, that where pride has taken hold or stubbornness or there's a root of something in our lives which is uh, causing us again and again to get stuck in the same pattern, Lord, that you, just, that you would break that. Because we don't want to be stuck in sin. We don't want to be stuck in rebellion against you. Or in fear. And so Jesus we pray for you to break through in people's lives today. Amen.